love all these P's, right? Today we're going to talk about his providence and how he provides for us, God's provision. So I want to start out with a scripture out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul writes, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Hey, there you go. Now you wanted to know the secret to life? Right there in the Bible, I've learned the secret to living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the verse in context, okay? I don't know if it applies to basketball, but I know it applies to life in general in hard times, okay? So it's great. In World War I, Herbert Hoover was put in charge of a, an entity in the U.S. government that's job it was was to... to Teach America how to conserve. That department would not do well today. But the point was, we were in World War I, and Europe was in trouble. The farmland in Europe was now battlefields and destroyed by artillery and those kinds of things. And the farmers were soldiers. They were gone. So there was no one to raise the crops, and the land was destroyed to, to raise the crops on. So Herbert Hoover's job was to come in, come to America, ask it to cut its consumption so that food could be sent to Europe. In one year, America as a country, our consumption was reduced by 15%, and food was sent to Europe to sustain them throughout World War I, a war that we were also fighting with. If you've ever, ever heard the expression, meatless Tuesdays or wheatless Wednesdays, those came out of World War I. But then World War II came a few decades later at the end of the Great Depression. And in World War II, it was even worse than World War I because the Pearl Harbor attack had happened and the cost for America to win that war wasn't just a cost of sending our sons into battle, but it was also a cost of food and supplies and rubber and fuel. And so ration books were printed and America was forced into a season of consumption, I mean of reducing their consumption. And when they did that, that's when some of the, the, well, the stories abound of people who could no longer take care of their children. They would have to send them to live with relatives because they couldn't afford to take care of them. There were soup lines. There were empty cupboards. It was a hard time in America. So when you come to that generation, what we call today the builder generation, when you come to that generation and you talk about, dear Lord, give us today our daily bread, they know what we're talking about. However... At this stage in my life, I don't worry about daily bread too much. In fact, I'll go home tonight, I will have probably a dinner, and then later I'll decide if I want pizza or ice cream before I go to bed. And you're sitting there going, that explains the shape that you're in. <laughs> Round is a shape, dude, okay? I'm in shape. <laughs> so, so when we come to our generation and actually where all of us live today, I mean, you can try and lay this, the, the ignorance of this at the feet of our youth if you want to, but that really isn't fair. Is it? It's not fair. They've never had to live in times of hardship. I've never really had to experience them, although I grew up in a, a lot leaner times than we have today. And so we need, this generation now needs to understand that our daily bread comes from God. Our daily bread comes from God. And this prayer is just as important as it has ever been. So as we enter into this message today, I want to bring, there are two analogies, literal metaphors, if you will, out of the Bible. One is the nation of Israel. The second is Jesus Christ. 
In both of those cases, they experienced a, a lack of food. The nation of Israel came out of Egypt in victory and immediately entered the hardship of the wilderness and were lacking food in the wilderness. Jesus Christ came out of the victory of his baptism where the voice from heaven descends and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately upon coming out of the water and the Holy Spirit falling upon Jesus, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for a 40-day fast. Both of those stories are key to grasping why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want you to see that God created you to have needs. You're supposed to have needs. Spiritual needs, emotional needs, and physical needs. Why did God create us to have needs? And maybe we should start by being really honest with ourselves and saying that we really don't like the fact that God made us to have needs. We would like to think we're completely self-deficient, self-sufficient, <laughs> self-deficient we are. That we like to think we're completely self-deficient, self-sufficient. Boy, that's a Freudian thing probably. If I were a pervert, I would be Freudian. But anyway, that's another story. Sorry, you have to know Freud's story. But anyway, um, my point is, is that I lost my point and it will come back later is that we have needs and those needs so we cannot be we cannot meet our own needs we need someone to meet our needs and before i get started your spouse can't meet all your needs i think you need to know that god did not design your husband to be jesus to you nor your wife to be jesus to you i don't know why i threw that in it wasn't my notes but there you go you have it totally free no extra offering required just kidding. Why did God create us with needs? One, our needs teach us, they motivate us to seek God. Our needs motivate us to seek God. This is why there are so many religions on the planet. People have needs that can't be met in the physical realm, and so they seek God and often end up with little g gods. This is where idolatry comes from, trying to meet our needs in a way that we can control. That's where idolatry is born. And so, but God gave us those needs so that they would draw us to him. So let me give you a verse out of Deuteronomy 8. You would think, hang on, before I get into Deuteronomy 8, let's climb into the shoes of an Israeli dad, a Hebrew dad or mom, right out of Egypt for a second. They come out of Egypt in victory. It was a huge, awesome, victorious day. Now they're in the wilderness. There's not a Chick-fil-A for miles. How do you live without Chick-fil-A? Nobody knows, except for people in Rock Springs. There's no Walmart around. There's no grocery store, no Albertsons, no Smiths. You have kids. They had bigger families than us. They didn't have one or two. They had many. They had Maynard-sized families and larger and your kids are hungry and they're thirsty and they're crying. And, and so have you ever encountered the pressure of your child or someone you love having a need that you could not meet? That's frustrating. So before you get too, too judgmental on the nation of Israel, 
I think it's fair to understand where they're standing, okay? And also to understand that if it wasn't okay for them to gripe and complain under severe circumstances, neither is it okay for us to gripe and complain under severe circumstances. Amen? You should definitely say amen when it hurts. You should definitely say amen when it hurts. Deuteronomy 8.3, there was a purpose in the pain. Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, Deuteronomy is kind of his final sermons gathered together. And he says of the people, he says, Yes, God, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Point. Right here needs to be made. Our needs teach us humility. Our needs teach us humility. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you or your ancestors, and he did it to teach you, did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Can I Maynardize that? Of course I can. I'm in charge. He did that to teach you that people do not live by stuff alone. Okay? Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God gave Israel a bread problem. Israel was the Old Testament son of God. You can read the prophets, read the Psalms. God often referred to the nation of Israel as his son, who he brought out in victory and sent into the wilderness for 40 years. New Testament, there's a new son. The only begotten son, the son of God, the one in whom God is well pleased. That God takes, and as I stated earlier, sends out into the wilderness, and he gives his son a bread problem. He gave his Old Testament son a bread problem, and he gave his New Testament son a bread problem. The Old Testament son dropped the ball and blew it. They tried to deal with their bread problem through complaining and through resisting the will of God and through trying to get their needs met in their own strength and manipulate God into providing for them. There's a whole message right there. One day I'll probably do a message called How We Manipulate God and How It Doesn't Work. (laughs) Then you have a New Testament son, and the New Testament son did it right. The New Testament son didn't complain. The New Testament son was even tempted and tested by the devil, and he did not fail. The New Testament son taught us that in the wilderness we wait. The Bible tells us of Jesus' 40-day fast, that when he was out there, he was out there 40 days, and then it says he was hungry. Now, if you guys have ever done any reading on extended fasts, like 40 days or more, that you, you, know, you should know that what happens in a 40-day fast is after about day three, five, in my case, maybe day 10 or 15, your hunger goes away. Your body develops ketones. So you guys are probably all doing the keto diet like one day out of a month or something. You know, like, I'm doing keto today. I'm doing pizza tomorrow. But you don't say that last part <laughs> till dinner. But So you're kind of wrapping your head around ketones, all that kind of stuff. So your body basically goes in this fasting mode. It's really good for you and, and so forth. But after about three days, your hunger goes away. But when your hunger comes back, you need to eat pretty quickly because your body's telling you at that point, I'm out of fuel. The reserves are gone. And I don't know, I'm thinking for me, 40 days, 80 days, I don't know, it could be a while. I got stuff stored up is all I'm saying. I'm going to last longer than you in a famine. So, 
Sorry, I don't know where the jokes are coming from. They're really sad. They're dad jokes, but it is what it is. My point is, is that when Jesus is hungry, that's when the enemy shows up. It's when he's hungry that Satan shows up. And you got to realize he's, I mean, he's at a point of death. He's not far from death at this point, but he still won't stop waiting on God. And that's the lesson of the wilderness. The wilderness is learning to wait on God regardless of the circumstance. Okay? So God, these, these things, these needs we have in our life, they should humble us. They also reveal our heart. They reveal things that we don't want to know. The nation of Israel in that wilderness, they were the original hangry people. They were hungry and mad. And I used to, um, I remember when I was working on bringing some fasting things in my life, I had two questions. One, if this is supposed to be such a spiritual experience, why was I so mad when I did it? And two, why do they call it a fast when it goes so slow? (laughs) Right? I'm going to fast for 24 hours. That'll be the longest 24 hours of your month right there. And so when we go into that, so when I would go into fasting and, and have in the past and recently, I, I began to see things in me that I don't appreciate. Fasting needs in general bring those out of us. They bring out things we don't really want to know. So here's the question. Why does God work this way? Why does God do that? Look at the pattern. The nation of Israel. Huge victory. Failure, I mean famine, no food, no water, struggling in the wilderness, and they're being tested right after the victory. The Son of God initiates his ministry with heavenly awe. I mean, you got the Holy Spirit, the Word of God from heaven, and the Son of God coming out of the water. Huge victory going into a season of testing. Are you following? You, You need to remember this pattern. Because victory in your life will quickly bring you into another season of testing. And I know what you're thinking. Why would I ever put myself through that? And the answer to that question is because you are a child of God. And this life isn't lived on your terms as a child of God. As a child of God, he's the one who calls the shots. And he has bigger plans for your life than you making lots of money, getting plenty of sleep, and retiring comfortably. You're supposed to say amen when it stings. (laughs) Just kidding. What was the nation of Israel saved out of Egypt to do? Conquer giants. They, the, the original plan, was to leave Egypt, go directly to the promised land, and take it in the name of God. That was the plan. took 40 years to get there because they were stubborn. And maybe that's why it's taken us so long to get to the promised land in our lives, but that's not part of the sermon. That's just another freebie. Jesus, what is he called to do? Well, he's called to conquer everything. He's called to establish a new promised land. So here's the question. You have this nation coming out of Egypt. They're slaves. 
They don't have military strategy. They don't have military training. They don't have strength. They don't have conditioning. They don't have any of those things. They walk out of Egypt, and God's preparing them to be a nation of giant conquerors. And so in that wilderness, he is preparing them through their needs to depend upon the only one who can actually conquer giants with slaves. The son of God was a carpenter's son. And I'm sure that he was a very patient man before the Spirit filled him. I'm sure he was a very detail-oriented man, a very gentle man. But his mission was not to come to earth and build furniture or, or doorways. His job was to come to earth and conquer death, hell, and the grave. That's why God sent his son to the wilderness. And that's why God will put you in a wilderness. It's because your purpose in this life is larger than your comfort. Write that down. Your purpose in life is larger than your comfort. So God gives us these needs, and these needs drive us to him because the truth is our power is never enough. I don't care how many self-help books you read. I don't care how many memes come across your Facebook feed about how you can do it. It's all baloney. You need more strength than you have. Some of you are battling addictions and you're going to need more strength than you have. And when I was praying about this sermon last night, I felt like there would be someone here today who is on the edge of their addiction and they've almost beaten it, but today they feel really tempted. And I just want to let you know we're, I'm praying for you. Some of you are trying to keep your families together and you're beginning to realize I'm not smart enough. There aren't enough books for this. There, I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough love. Some of you are trying to get your kids into adulthood on their own two feet. And that sounds really easy when your kids are young. But as they grow older and you begin to realize they have minds of their own and they act just like you did at that age, that's particularly frustrating. Because you want to tell them, look, I've made all these mistakes. Don't make them. And they're like, la-da-da-da-da, just like you were. And if I could speak as a parent here real quick. Um, parents, never forget your number one job is to get your children's eternity secured. That's number one, okay? You can get them well-trained in all the avenues of life. You can get them all the degrees they need. You can support them and, and teach them even some good character on earth. But if they don't trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior and live for him, salvation's more than a momentary prayer, guys. It's a defining moment. Defining moments change your life. If they don't give their life to Christ and live for him, then their soul's in danger. And that, my friends, that's our job as parents, to make sure they all get home. Do you understand? Thanks for nodding. I know for some of you, that creates anxiety for you. You should not have anxiety. You should have faith. And you should put the priority where it needs to be. Make sure your kids have a faith. Do everything you can to step into that. So <clears throat> we have these needs. These needs bring us to a place of humility. These needs that we have in our life reveal what's going on in our heart. But the Bible says this in 1 Peter 5. One of, I love this passage. 
It's really written to leaders in the church, but it stands for all of us. Peter says, and all of you, dress yourselves in humility. Humility is a good thing as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I know that could be a hard verse to accept. It's hard because there's humility. Nobody wants that. But it's also hard because some days it's difficult to believe that God really cares when you're in the middle of a wilderness. But he does. And he has you there for a reason. The other thing you have to know about our needs is God is the one who meets our needs. I said it earlier. No one else can fully meet your needs. There are needs in this life God can provide that people to meet. Don't get me wrong. You might need encouragement today, and God could send someone to you to speak encouragement. You could be here today, and you have a word of encouragement that needs to be shared, so don't forget to share it with somebody, okay? You, you might need someone to care about you, to come alongside you, to mentor you, to teach you. Those are all things that God can bring into our life. But we must never forget that the one who really meets our needs is always our Father. That is the foundation of our daily bread. That God is the one who meets our needs. And Jesus Christ came out of that wilderness with such victory and power because he was tempted to replace God with mere bread, even miracle bread. I mean, think about it. Jesus, I mean, Satan says to Jesus, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And that's when Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 8.3. Man doesn't live by bread alone. What's he saying? He's saying, Satan, man doesn't live by miracle bread. It doesn't matter how good the gifts are. It doesn't matter how good the gifts are. It matters that there is a father who gives gifts. Does that make sense? That's what you're really dependent upon in this life. It's not that I need someone else to meet my need. I need my wife to be something else. I need my husband to be something else or my kids to be something else. It's not that at all. It's that I need God. He is. He is my daily bread. God's the daily bread. But he does provide for us. He's a very good father. And so when we realize we have needs, they, they, they motivate us to seek after God. And those who seek God find God. Those who seek God find God. Which raises the question, if you're having trouble finding God right now, is, are you seeking him? That's the question you need to ask, because a lot of times we, we kind of go into the assumption, if I'm not finding God, then his word not, must not be true. We might not say that, but that's what we imply, and we give up, and we quit. Seek him, and you'll find him. In John 4, Jesus teaches us a little bit about daily bread, about what we really need for nourishment. And it's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I love the story. It's one of my favorites. I, I, I apply stuff out of it all the time because it's, it's a fun story. I mean, because you have this lady who comes out, and she's so broken. She, she's, she's so broken that she's pretty much living her life under the radar. You ever have days like that where you're trying to be under the radar? It doesn't work, does it? You're like going to Smith's like, I just don't want anyone to see me today, and that's the day. Everyone's there. They're just at Smith's. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. Please don't talk to me anymore. You're laughing because you know what that's like. 
And so she was that lady, man, but she lived her life under the radar, trying not to be seen. Well, one day she goes to the well to get water in the heat of the day when no one else would be there because she didn't want to be known. Boy, that was for somebody. She did not want to be known. And then she met Jesus at the well, and here's the thing about Jesus. He knows. And there's very few people in the Bible that Jesus just straight up said, I'm the Messiah. She was one of them that got to hear from his mouth who he was. She got so excited she forgot about her need to stay under the radar. She ran back into town, started knocking on doors and dragging everybody out to meet the guy who told her everything that he, she had ever done. And all he really told her that she'd done was some sins that she'd committed. But other than that, she, it was everything. And she was changed and she'd met the Messiah. At the end of that session that's recorded in John 4, this is my favorite part. Jesus is just kind of watching God happen. You ever watch God happen? It's so awesome. He's watching God happen. And the disciples come back and they had been to Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> and they, they brought it, the food to Jesus because that's what they went to do. They were worried about their daily bread. Because we worry about our daily bread. And they brought Jesus what they had gotten. And Jesus wouldn't even eat it. He was just as hungry as they were. But he's watching God happen. And while he's watching God happen to this town, he says to his disciples, I'm feasting right now in a way you could not know, or I have meat to eat that you don't know anything about. And then he comes along later and states in about verse 28 of John 4, or maybe verse 32, he says, my nourishment is to do the will of my Father. That's what feeds me. And I think that is a powerful lesson about how we move from this place of need and not knowing how to get our needs met into a place of being satisfied and fulfilled. We move from a place of being about us to a place where we are in obedience to our Father. Sometimes our needs in life are masking our needs. Does that make sense? Sometimes... Our physical needs are masking our truest needs. Sometimes that's why God allows those things to happen in our lives. I know that there are probably some of you here thinking God is holding out on you. You're asking him for something. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's relationship repair. Maybe it's forgiveness. And it hasn't come yet. And maybe it's a need. And you feel like God is like up there in heaven and he's like, he's just real stingy. He just only blesses a few, select few. But that's not how God rolls. God is a generous God. Did you know that? He loves to bless people. Maybe he's not holding out for you, on you. Maybe what he's doing is trying to show you what your real need is. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, what, that the need you think you have might be a symptom of a much more foundational and deeper need. You ever considered that for a minute? Maybe God is trying to bring you to a place so he can bless you so fundamentally that it actually changes your life. He's a good God. Very kind, very generous to you. Jesus said this in Matthew seven eleven. He said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. Do you guys know how to give good gifts to your children? Do they always appreciate them? 
Uh, never mind. I don't want to ask that question. <laughs> How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? What's that? The doxology, and I always miss the amen, but I'm going to try and get it today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's why we have the doxology. By the way, you sounded beautiful. Give yourself a hand. That was so good. I heard harmonies. It was beautiful. I love to hear God's people praise. It's a powerful thing. By the way, just in case you ever know, the reason I love it when people pray for people while there's worship going on is there's like an extra power in prayer when there's worship happening at the same time. And so uh, I love to do that. I love to see that happen. God is generous, but the main thing we also need to understand is God is our source in life. We have to, we have to keep remembering that, that God is the source. And he's the place that we go. And the sooner we can embrace that and we can look at our whole lives from that angle, from that perspective, that God's provided all of this, it all comes from him. Teach our children that. It all comes from him. He is a good, good father. Have you ever thought about all the things in your life you have no control over? I'm not talking about the things you're worried about right now. I'm talking about like from your birth. No one in this room got to pick what country they were born in. You didn't get to pick what color your skin was. You didn't get to pick who your weird parents were, and all of your parents were weird, right? None of those things you got to pick. All of that, God decided, and God blessed you with. It's a, it's a principle of design. It's a biblical principle that God makes some decisions. You and I are so blessed, even if we were in difficult circumstances. And the last thing I want to say, but I'm going to talk about it for a while, so don't relax, our needs teach us and motivate us to seek God. If you seek God, you'll find him. And we have to learn to daily seek and trust God. That's what we have to learn, daily. It's not weekly bread. You're not going to get enough today from this message to carry you through spiritually until Saturday. It's not going to happen. I mean, I love to teach. I love to share what God's doing. I love to share. I share from my heart and from the, my spiritual journey but this is just today's bread. It's just today. So daily, we need an encounter with God. And when you encounter God, this, this is, a, this is it, yes, it is a spiritual discipline, but it, it's just kind of ridiculous that we try and live a Christian life without a daily connect with God. That's just kind of crazy. I'd be like asking a newborn infant to go a couple days without eating. It's just really that crazy. And so we have to keep that in mind. We need to daily connect with God. And we need, it needs to be significant. What do I mean by that? We need to come out of, whether it's a prayer time, a worship time, a Bible reading time, Bible study time, a small group time, we need to come out of it knowing some stuff God said to us. So I want to tell you a quick story. I'll try and make this really brief because I'm totally, probably out of time, but I don't care, and you don't either, right? So... Maybe you do. My wife and I, about, I don't know, six weeks ago, we took the boys and we said, guys, we're going on a treasure hunt. We're going to go find some poor people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
We're going on a treasure hunt. What's a treasure hunt, you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> what we did was we got a piece of paper, and we just said, God, we just want to go out and follow you around today. And so just tell us what to look for. And we had this, we have a cheat sheet, a treasure hunt cheat sheet, and we started writing stuff down. And so all of us are in the truck driving to Evanston to the Celtic Festival, which was pretty awesome, by the way. And uh, we're, look, we're asking God to reveal stuff to us, and we're writing it down. So, I mean, Cayman's even chipping in, so it's getting really weird. And uh, <clears throat> I can't remember who said it, but one of the kids or my wife came up with something, and it may have been Cayman, came up with a guy with crazy hair. And my wife kind of latched on to the crazy-haired guy. It scared me a little bit. And, uh, and we're driving down, and now we, we're talking to God, and we are listening. We're just trying to write down crazy stuff that just, you know, we're talking to God, and this stuff rolls through your mind. You're talking to God. You should probably pay a little attention to it. So we were just writing it down. My wife latched on to the crazy-haired guy thing. And so we get into the Evanston gas station. We always stop at the pilot to get gas because we're totally creatures of habit. We do it every time. It's really silly. But anyway, we do. We pull in there to get gas, or to gas up and go to the restroom. We come out, and the guy at the checkout checking people out, only guy working in the store at that moment, has this crazy hair. And I'm like, oh, no, because I know my wife. I know this woman, okay? She is on it like white on rice, man. I'm telling she sees that guy, oh, we're going to pray for him. And, I, and we're going in the bathroom, and I'm like, well, maybe I can stay in here a little longer because this... <laughs> I mean, the guy's working, he's busy, you know, and I'm, it's awkward, you know. But we had, that's the whole purpose for the trip. We wanted to just follow God around for an afternoon and see what he would do, you know. So we wrote it down, crazy hair guy. My wife comes out of the bathroom, brings Cayman out of the bathroom, and she is like, zoom, zoom. Folks, you know how you women are when you're like, something's going to, he will come to Christmas this year. It will happen. You know what I'm talking about. She comes out, we're going to pray for that guy. We don't need anything. We're buying something just so we can talk to that guy. So we did. We bought something, got up there. And my wife, I said, this, this one's yours, honey. You can have this one. <laughs> get up to the counter. She offers, uh, puts the item up there. And she says, hey, is there any way we can pray for you? When you ask that question, a number of things can happen. Sometimes it's very awkward, and they're like, what? But not this guy. This guy immediately, I mean, without even a thought, says, I'm moving tomorrow. Would you please pray for my move? So my wife, right there, puts her hand on his hand, prays for his move. I mean, I would have prayed five seconds. She, she went a little longer. My point is this. We had an encounter with God, we made a note, we looked for God to show up, and he did. And that guy, I don't know what was going on in his life. I just know that God sent someone to pray for a crazy-haired guy on a Saturday morning a couple months ago who needed it at the right moment. God sent us there. Guys, this Christian life can be an adventure Amen. if you will just go on it. If you will just look for what God's doing and respond to it. So I, I want you to know, God is the source. He's good. He, he wants us in our life. And I want you to know that this journey is an everyday thing. I want to give you four quick steps for daily bread living, and then I'm done. First, gratitude. Gratitude. God loves you, and he's blessed you. And we need to be some of the most grateful people in this community. 
There was a book written many years ago now called There Is No Bad Day. It was written by an assistant to uh, President Jimmy Carter, Hamilton Jordan. No Such Thing as a Bad Day is the title of the book. He was interviewed on that title, where it came from, and his response was this. He said, and by the way, Hamilton Jordan was diagnosed with cancer three times before he was 50 years of age. And this is back in the 70s, 80s. And so they asked him, where did the title come from? And he said, well, I was calling a friend of mine who has cancer. He's a father with three young children. And I asked him, I said, are you having a bad day? And he said, listen, man, when you've only got three months left to, to live, there's no such thing as a bad day. I think that's exactly how Jesus calls us to live. To live in a way so that we we don't have time for a bad day. I'm not saying bad things don't happen. I'm just saying we don't need to let a bad five minutes destroy 24 hours. So we we can beat that with gratitude. The second thing is contentment. If I could go back to what Paul said in Philippians 12 and 13, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's full stomach or empty with plenty or little. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, that's the point of I can do all things through Christ. It's not victory in down situations. It's contentment in challenging situations. Contentment rests on the fact that my God is good and he's my source. And if we could learn to live in contentment, we could do so much more as a church and as individuals. The reason, I mean, if you think about it like Jesus Christ, if you think about his life, there were a few times in the New Testament Jesus fixed a meal. Now, he, he ate dinner with a lot of wealthy people and, and people who weren't wealthy. And I'm sure he got some amazing meals in his life. But when Jesus fixed dinner, it was pretty simple. Sometimes it was fish. Sometimes it was fish and bread. Pretty simple. It's almost like Jesus really cared more about being with the people he was with than the meal that was provided. And of course, that, I mean that as a side point. But the issue simply is this. If we could learn to be more content in our lives, we could free up more resources to bless other people. Couldn't we? <clears throat> and this isn't just about money. and It isn't just about food. In fact, if I could make a point, it's really a lot about time. I'm going to be real pastoral. Hang on. We have to stop scheduling our life to the, the last second. We have to have some margin. Actually, what we have to have is we have to have some focus on God that generates some margin so I can work in the lives of others. If that is part of what it means to be content. Guys, it doesn't matter how much you accomplish in this life if it's just stuff that you accomplish. Only the stuff that is God's will is the stuff that's going to last forever. We have to keep that in mind. And we need to save some margin in our lives so we can give it to other people, just like we need to save money in our lives so we can bless other people with it. Time and money are our greatest resources, are our very powerful resources in this life. And so we need to, to learn a bit of contentment, meaning that we don't have to do everything, be everywhere, satisfy everyone. Actually, at the end of this game, you know, one second after your last breath, you're going to realize that there was only one person that mattered, and he was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Got to keep that in perspective. And he really... He does want you to push, but into the kingdom. 
his, not yours. So gratitude, contentment, confidence. When I talk about earlier, you know, not having a bad day, and Jesus talked about in Matthew 6 how that we, we need to not worry about tomorrow and those kind of things. I, I want to be measured in that, okay, because God doesn't want you to go through life foolishly, never planning for the future. The point of <clears throat> having confidence of God and those kinds of things isn't that we should not plan ahead in life. It is that we should not worry ahead in life. We need to make that distinction, okay? Because here's the thing. You can plan ahead in life a little bit. Prepare for retirement. Prepare for your kids' weddings, whatever. You can prepare as much as you can. But what we normally do is we prepare as much as we can and we worry about what we can't. Right? Isn't that what we do? So being content and confident in God is realizing I can only do so much with the resources God has given me today. There is zero value in worrying about tomorrow because God didn't give me the resources for tomorrow. There's no value in that. Confidence is simply knowing God's got tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to look like. It might not be as comfortable as I like. I mean, because, you know, God really likes you to be really happy and comfortable, right? <laughs> God might stretch me. He might put me in a situation. But the point is, God is my confidence. I'm not my confidence. I'm really, if you're going through life right now and you're on that strength, that idea, I'm 10 foot tall and bulletproof, I can do anything I can set my mind to do. Dude, you got a humiliating day coming. There's a day coming when you're going to realize I can't do this. I can't go farther than this. You are going to hit a wall, and God's going to put it in front of you. He's going to put it there because you need to know what you really need. And what you really need isn't your own strength. What you really need is his strength. And the last thing is generosity. So meaning that God blesses us to bless others. We need to remember that. We need to remember. This is important. I don't know if you're still listening or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. When we have an excess in life, whether it's excess money or excess time or any of those things, when we have an excess in life, it might not be for us. Have you ever considered that? God might be trusting you with an hour or $1,000 that isn't yours. He's going to give it to someone else through you. That's why we need to be a generous people because we're God's people. And God uses people to bless people. God works through people to help people. God works through us to give hope and to give life. So we need to be a gracious people. We need to be a content people. We need to be a confident people. And we need to be a generous people. Now, in conclusion, and you thought it would never get here, what's your daily bread? What's today's daily bread? It's not in your refrigerator. It's not in your cabinet. It's not in your bank account. It's not in your driveway. It's not even in your spouse or your children or your parents. Your daily bread is in your father. And he, he provided 40 years, six days a week without fail for a nation of one, at least 1.5 million people. Every day, the bakeries in heaven ran and provided for them. Six days a week. The seventh day, they had to save up from the day before. They had to plan ahead. But they never failed until the day they entered the promised land. You might be in a wilderness right now. It's okay. It's okay. 
your father isn't the same father in the wilderness that he is in the promised land. And he's still shipping bread to you. There's daily bread even in the wilderness. While you're out here, remember, God's getting you ready for your purpose. He's preparing you for your purpose. Don't rush the wilderness that comes from God. It's okay to put the enemy in his place when he brings challenges, but that's a different message. While you're there, remember there's bread for each day. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can depend upon you. That you never fail. You never give up. I thank you that we as your children are so richly blessed. I don't know what the day after my last breath holds, but I know it's going to be good. I ask you, Lord, to move in this body, to teach us to live on daily bread, to teach us to see daily bread as more than just the provision of food and water and clothes and all those things, but to see daily bread as the presence of God, as obedience to God. And Lord, as we As we learn to live each day, I pray that our confidence would grow. Lord, that our heart would be set on on the promises that you give. I do pray for those folks that are on the edge today. Please help them. Strengthen them. Set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.